The outward facts of our life can stay the same, but our inner experience can fluctuate wildly. And in turn, we can make plans about what we want to do, but what control do we really have over outcomes? The truth is, we are on a spiritual journey with an all-wise and loving God at the helm. Here we are, inside Off the Left Eye. Stick around for my exclusive interview with Curtis Childs, director of Off the Left Eye, where we discuss coping with anxiety and the value of reflecting on our inner state. Next, Dr. Jonathan Rose, series editor for the New Century Edition translation of the theological works of Emanuel Swedenborg, presents the evidence surrounding the last-minute name change Swedenborg made to his work, True Christianity. Then we go and meet up with Swedenborg himself in 1771 to explore where he was traveling to and the plans he had made for publishing This Week in History. Hey, Curtis, welcome back. Hello, Chelsea. Good to be here. Yeah. And so this past week, uh, we were exploring the show Spirits Cause Anxiety, which was really fun to hear about from you uh, in last week's show. Right. And now that it's out, people can watch it on our YouTube channel and, of course, listen to it if they like the audio-only thing as uh, a podcast on the Swedenborg and Life podcast channel. Yeah. And... So to dig into this topic this week, we're going to share our reflections on this week's reflection question. And so I'll put it to you, Curtis, and we'll just have a little conversation and I'll, Great. we can both share some thoughts. So the question of the week, which wait, people can, wait. yeah. I just want to tell people that as of this recording, I haven't heard this question yet. So this is nice. genuine. We're really <laughs> yes. going at it here. Okay. <laughs> and so also I wanted to say, also in preamble, that people can also respond to this question themselves by finding it on our community tab on YouTube or on any of our social media channels like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, where the question will be po- has been posted there and you can um, respond yourself. So, yes. so here it is. Have you ever had something you were really anxious about and then you weren't, even though none of the facts of the situation changed? And... If you want, I can I can share some thoughts okay. while you have a chance to think Great. if you want. Yep. Okay. Well, so I was, you know, it was only probably this morning that I was reading this question for myself and thinking about this podcast. And um, what really struck me in thinking about it was this happens all the time. <laughs> and, and from a Swedenborgian perspective, uh, for me, it really relates to the reality of our spiritual state and how our spiritual state is always changing. And, and there's this fabulous quote in Swedenborg and I don't have it on hand, but I know I have it saved somewhere, which is that the Lord alone governs and arranges all our spiritual states, like every change, the whole fluctuation, like from one to the next, the Lord knows what's going on and is guiding the process for our best interest, you know, but that can mean, going through intense anxious states, um, you know, or, or foreseeing that that will happen and, but then being able to use that for our, for our spiritual growth. Um, and so for me in my life, it's like rarely really about what's happening outwardly, you know, like the outward facts of my life or situation don't change that much, but my response to what's happening goes all over the map and, but it's an opportunity for reflection to see, okay, look at, this is the spiritual state that I'm in right now, you know, and I can 
like breathe through it, acknowledge it, you know, like recognize I'm feeling anxiety or like, how am I experiencing this in my body? You know, all these different sorts of tools that we can have. Um, but then sure enough, it, it shifts, you know, something shifts, the state changes and I'm in a different state. So even though life didn't change outwardly, I've, I've changed inwardly. And, and that is just this beautiful, you know, Swedenborg talks in terms of spirals of spiritual growth. Absolutely. That's great. Um, and, and good, good thing to be remembering the next time you encounter something is okay. No, this can change. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, I got, I have two and I, the first one, I don't know how much it fits, but I think I would love to talk about it. So sure. I, as I mentioned on some previous podcasts, like I'm dealing with this major episode of acid reflux or of, of um, mm. heartburn. Like it's just like totally ruled my life for the past couple months. I don't sleep. You know, I got these symptoms all the time. And oh, yeah. the way that I feel about a given physical symptom can s- mm-hmm. swing wildly, just like you were saying. Yeah. That mm-hmm. There's earlier on in it, I would start to panic when I knew I wasn't going to barely be able to sleep at all. Because I was thinking, what does this mean? Uh, am I am I going to be okay with this little sleep? But now I'm pretty used to it. I said, yeah, of course I'm not going to sleep. And yeah. it's going to be all right. <laughs> yep. um, there are times when if I've... If I've come to some sort of conclusion that, okay, things are progressing in a good direction, that I don't mind the same symptoms that I would mind if I didn't have a projection for where it's going. Now, the yeah. reason I say I don't know if that counts is because it's still a little earthly because I feel like the uh, in my mind, the facts of the situation are changing, that, that I think mm. I know where it's really headed, but there's a good amount of, you know, um, of trust in there. I would say a, another place that it shows up is our efforts with off the left eye. So yeah. there, you know, off the left has been this amazingly joyful success story in terms of a Swedenborg thing. The Swedenborg mm-hmm. stuff is not usually very popular. So what we've been able yes. to do <laughs> is very encouraging and very exciting. But there's times when I feel like, wow, this is so useful and so important. We should be reaching 10 times as many people. And I can think about it in those terms and feel like, oh, I just, uh, we're not doing the material justice because there's yeah. so much out there. But then it was the same stats and the same uh, subscribership and view count and all that. There's other times when I just feel overwhelmed yeah. with how lucky we are that this is happening and how this is this awesome next chapter in the saga of these spiritual teachings. So that can swing wildly. And it's got, it's just, it's just the way it's presented to you internally. You know, it can seem like your cup is overflowing or it's, it's almost empty. Yes. And that, it is just amazing to, to witness that. And I feel like that in itself, you know, Swedenborg says that reflecting on your own inner state is like core to a spiritual life because it's our ability to reflect and see how much those inner fluctuations happen that really starts to open us up to the reality of like, you are a spirit, like you are this, you know, spiritual being that is growing and changing and is not just locked into the facts of your life and i thought those those examples are great examples and it's just so true that um things the outer things of our lives are just kind of moving along as they will and it's all unfolding in in the lord's providence and and so for me sort of the key is that uh you know acceptance of just this is what is right now. And I don't know, you know, I'm not in control of how things are going to go, you know, from here, but like finding that center place, you know, finding the resting in that trust of, 
of the Lord is like just the key to be able to keep keep putting one foot in front of the other and you know walking into the unknown but know knowing that you're being cared for you know and that like divine love is real and that that is is uh guiding your life in sometimes invisible ways and that's the only time you can really start to believe that like you believe other things is when you have to lean on it yes because um, otherwise yeah. it just sounds like a nice hallmark card but when you really don't have control over your life you yeah. have to okay all right I, you're doing it i know you're doing it or else i got nothing right so exactly it becomes this bedrock this yeah. this reliable refuge and that's very much what how swedenborg describes the process of regeneration that spiritual crises are essential to it for those very reasons and then one last uh slant on that yeah is it's sort of the classic ebenezer scrooge hey look at that i it's the facts of his life didn't change after he saw all those ghosts but suddenly he went from being miserly and miserable to being overjoyed and kind and caring and all this. And I was for myself, like a couple of days ago, I had a really good like night and a really good morning. And I sort of thought, Hey, I'm past this. I'm not really past it. And I just felt like the facts of my life hadn't changed, but I just felt like, wow, the, the world is great. Like everything is great. And I, my old way of thinking, my old, um, stresses and jealousies and small mindedness would start to try to come in and, yeah. and occupy headspace. And I was like, there is no way. It was really hard, but I could definitely be like, there's no way I'm going to l- invite you guys back in after this. <laughs> yes. Even though yes. it's not like over the course <laughs> of this, I, you know, somebody gave me a bunch of money or something. The facts of my life are similar, but, yes. um, but anyway, it's, it's, it's just well, a cool. That's- that's just exactly what spiritual growth is and it's like that's the coolest trick up the lord's sleeve or whatever is that like taking our suffering and actually using it to be the means of our you know i don't know waking up whatever kind of term you want to use of just like waking up to the reality of how good things are really even despite the outer circumstances like the fact that the lord can use even the really crummy things that we have to go through and yet can make it the means of us feeling like finding that freedom and finding um, just the a connection to a to a bigger reality than than just being limited to how do things look on the surface. And the so. the facts of life are never going to guarantee you happiness because there's people that have everything you want that are not happy. And I would think almost any cluster of facts about life could be a happiness delivery system if you have the right spirit it's all about the spiritual it's all the perception of it that that's happy or not happy yep well that's great so if you want to read other responses you've heard from us but if you're just hearing this you can go find us on social media or at the off the left eye youtube channel community tab and see other responses to this question or you can leave your own and uh and so that, that's been our exploration for this week of spirits and their relation to anxiety. And then next week, we are actually having a break week. It's the week of Labor Day. And um, so it's a chance for you during the week. You can catch up on content maybe you've missed over the last few weeks. And you can explore our new website at offtheleftei.com. Join our email list there. and uh, But then we'll be back on Monday, September 14th with another episode exploring anxiety and this one is the practical but weird 
way to deal with anxiety. So I look forward to talking to you about that more, Curtis. Yeah, I can't wait. All right, Curtis, and then will you stick around for seeing where Swedenborg was this week in history? I won't move. All right, so I'll, I'll be catching up with Jonathan, and then we'll see you at the end of the right. show. Hey, Jonathan, thanks for being here. Hey, Chelsea, a pleasure to be with you again. Yeah, and so last time we were talking about, well, you had even said, oh, I'd like to talk about that sometime, which was that the work True Christianity had like a last minute name change or something was what you had uh, sort of teased for us. And it had me on the edge of my seat. This came out of a discussion of the introduction to the Shorter Works of 1763, where we were talking about different audiences and suddenly it popped to mind while we were recording last time that I had done a translator's preface to True Christianity uh, years ago, published in 2006, if memory serves, uh, that talked about, uh, conjectured about a change in title. So I want to lay out, if I can, the things that we absolutely know, nice. and then the things that I'm conjecturing based on that, and try to be clear about what is my crazy theory versus, you know, w- what do we know? But I happen to think my crazy theory is the truth, but we'll still, you know, <laughs> nice. well, I what just... do I know? It's really, it's an interesting, it's remarkable, you know, to have the a work be so close to the, going to press and then him changing everything in the last few minutes. So yeah, I'm interested in hearing your evidence and your speculations. Yes. Uh, so this this will be fun. Okay. So <laughs> I think where I'd like to start is that I was shocked to find out how long it took to print these books. Mm-hmm. True Christianity, which was 544 pages long, took from December, somewhere around December 3rd of 1770 to June 18th, 1771 mm. to print, you know, months and months and months, you know, yes. uh, six and a half, seven months or something. And uh, so... All the way back in, I know there's a lot of dates and figures and stuff, but back in February 1769, Swedenborg did something that you're never supposed to do, which is to tell people what you're going to do in the future. Yeah. <laughs> and he published that he was going to do a work. In fact, it, it started even earlier than that because in the end of um, Marriage Love, he says, in two years, that was in 1768, in two years, I'm going to publish a book called The Doctrine of the New Church. Oh. Yeah. Now, in terms of our discussion that we've been having lately, if people want to go back and hear those, doctrine is like a clergy keyword, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, yeah, this is of interest. It's for theologians or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, and he reiterates that title in February 1769 in material he prints in a work that we call Survey that's been traditionally titled Brief Exposition. Nice. And he says, not only this is going to be the title, but here are all the chapters. <laughs> oh, it's so interesting. I don't have time to go into all of it. But he was planning to do three chapters on life after death, on heaven and hell, on the afterlife, and, um, three different things, and cut those so, in other words, we can compare what he said he was going to do yes. with what he ended up doing. Yes. And for some reason, he cut these three chapters on 
this very important topic of life after death. Why would you cut three chapters on that? Wow. And um, uh, so to get back to the title, uh, then later uh, we have a letter in April 30th, I believe, of 1771, where he's writing to a clergy person, Gabriel Beyer, Mm -hmm. and uh, says to him that, He's writing a new book, that, and the title has changed somewhat. Not Doctrine of the New Church, yeah. but Comprehensive Theology of the New Heaven and the New Earth, I think, something like that. Wow. Um, and that's and that's when TC is already being printed, because it's... Um, it's way into being yeah, printed. You're yeah, you're in April that's of 71. Right. You're in April. He's been printing it okay. for months. And it's got a different title, but it doesn't have the title that it has to us. Yeah. <laughs> so wait a minute. You already printed. You you don't print a book back to front. <laughs> you right. start at page one and go through, you know. And so how did he change that title? And another indication that matches that is that if you look at the running heads. Now, you know what a running head is? It's that text at the top of the page that kind of tells you the book you're in. That kind of stuff. I'm just glad sort that of question signed. was rhetorical, so I didn't have to actually answer. <laughs> Signposting. That's those are called running heads, and um, in the print vernacular. Yeah. And uh, in most of Swedenborg's works, it's almost too obvious to say, but in a book on divine love and wisdom, yeah. the running heads say divine love and wisdom. Very good. And the text speaks of divine love and wisdom over and over again. It's too obvious to even say, right? Yes. In divine providence, same thing and so on. Yeah. But the running heads, it struck me one day, the running heads of this work that we know as titled True Christianity or in the Latin Vera Christiana Religio, they don't say true Christian religion or true Christianity. Hmm. They say the comprehensive theology of the new heaven and the new... They really do. Yeah, sure. And uh, all the way through the whole thing. And the words vera Christiana religio, what we know as the title that we translate true Christianity, and we have a whole big footnote in the translator's preface explaining why, you know, why we translate it that way, which I think is sound. Yeah. But um, those words... This is a book. <laughs> Those words only appear in two places in the entire book. <laughs> like the book about divine love and wisdom is all about divine love and wisdom. And he can't shut up about divine love and wisdom all through the book. Huh. That's what it's about. But this book that's supposedly about tr- true Christian religion or true Christianity only mentions the words true Christian and religion together on the title page and, and the heading on the top of page three, which is the way he did it. Oh, he would wow. count page one as the title page, and then page three is the start of the main text. You know, in, in most of his books, that's how it's paginated. And so that's it. Not even anywhere in the main text does it use those words. Uh, it, it's astonishing. And the yes. running heads all are as if they're running heads to a different book. Wow. So... When do we first hear that title before the title page? Well, so six weeks before publication, on April 30th, he's still calling it Comprehensive Theology of the New Heaven and the New Church. And then uh, we first learn the True Christianity title uh, 
on June the 7th, and I'm very June interested 7th. that wow. he wrote a quick little note on a slip of paper and handed it to none other than the Duke Ludwig, uh, the landgrave of Hesse-Darmstadt, who was a, a big deal in huh. Germany, and uh, not a clergyman. He's a nobleman. He's, he's not an ordained person. So that seems significant to me. But, but all we can say is that's the fact, is that he wrote that title down. And then forever afterwards, he refers to the work when he's writing about it later to people. He always calls it Vera Christiana Religio. So that's the title that it stuck with. So what I theorize based on that— mm-hmm is that of course he published the he printed the title page and the first those books back then this was quarto size which meant that you'd fold a big sheet of paper four times you fold it over in half oh, and then you fold yeah. that in half the other way and so that gives you eight surfaces that was what we call a signature today and what they called an arc back uh-huh. then I love uh, all this that's printing the sort information of yeah unit that you printed in Mm-hmm. And so um, he printed the first arc back in early December of 1770. And yet somehow this title that he never used until June 7th of 1771 shows up in the first pages of the final bound book of True Christianity. Hmm. So based on that, I theorize that what he did was he had 1,000, 1,500, however many he did of these things, copies of that first signature ready to be bound Yes. And he he somehow got rid of them. Uh, did he pulp them? Uh, what happened to them? I don't know. Yes. But I think he must have reprinted those first eight pages to change the title in the last, as far as we can tell, the, just a few weeks before the book came out. Yes. He changed the title. Because it was, and so what again, he, was it June or July that he does finally finish publishing True Christianity? June 18th, 18th. 1771. And the first mention we hear of it is June 7th. June 7th. My goodness. That's right. That's the first. So I think at the last minute, what I theorize is that at the last minute, he swapped out those signatures. And so what you had to do that was that you had to get, it's funny that on the end of page eight, it it actually breaks halfway through a word, a tributa, (laughs) a tri, you know, and then. Buta. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so he had to land it to where that word was still broken at the bottom of page eight. So to pick oh, it up on page wow. nine, you know, I'm just theorizing. But another thing that contributes to my theory is that on all his regular uh, volumes, the way they all begin is that on the first page of the main text, you have a big graphic that's called a headpiece ornament. Mm-hmm that goes across the top of the page. They're beautiful sometimes. They're, they're gorgeous, you yeah. know. True Christianity doesn't have one. Mm. Instead, it has this new title, Vera Christiana Religio, yeah. and then it has what used to be the title becomes the subtitle. Oh. So he still included that. Nice. But he just changed the first few words there. And that's only on the title page and only on the top of page three. So these these are the things that make me think that he changed the title at the last minute. And I think they're compelling. Then you get into the speculation about why. Yeah, exactly. The why. Why? Why would you change the title at the last minute? 
another little fact about the work is that he said to a friend in January 1771, he said to a, a friend of his in Amsterdam, uh, he told him how quickly he was printing the book. Yeah. And he said it's going to be 640 pages long, and it's going to come out by Michaelmas, which was September 29th. Oh, yes. It's a holiday that, as far as I know, we don't celebrate anymore. I've, I've never celebrated Michaelmas. But uh, he said that that's when the work would come out. So wait a minute. Interesting. He said it was going to come out on June uh, on September 29th, but in fact it came out on June 18th. And it was 15% shorter. It was only 544 pages, not 640. Well, uh, I don't know how that shrinkage happened. Yes. But he mentions five times in the book that he's going to have an appendix. Mm. And five times he says the appendix is going to get into the meaning of the abomination of desolation. It's going to talk about how bankrupt the faith is today and how it's not even really Christian. And he's going to get into it all in the appendix. Mm. Turn to the back of the book. There's no appendix. <laughs> you know. Wow. And so I don't know if this would have been a hundred page appendix or whether there's other stuff that's missing, maybe those three chapters on heaven and hell, right. you know. I don't know what else went by the wayside, but it seems like a change in plan, and he greatly even accelerated the publishing exactly. from the pace that he was doing to land it by June 18th. And is it coincidence or is it not that he wrote a letter saying that what he wanted to do was bring this book to all four estates of the Swedish parliament. The Swedish parliament Ooh. had four kind of chambers like our Senate and House or something in the U.S. Mm. And uh, and he planned to bring the work to all four of those. So that sparks all kinds of thoughts that I have about the content of the work and why it has so many homespun analogies in it and all kinds of things that I can't go into now. But uh, I wonder if he decided to steer the book from the clergy towards the nobility. Right. Lo and behold, he sends his new title. To, hey, check this out. You know, sends his new title <laughs> to the nobleman. Yes. And th that's all he writes on this slip of paper is just the title. It's really interesting. And uh, and so what did he sort of re-gear the work to be not only for the clergy, it has lots of stuff for the clergy in it, lots of scripture and so on, but it also has stuff for philosophers, and it also seems to have uh, a lot of material for your sort of ordinary Joe and Jane on the street kind of thing, just ordinary people. And so I wonder whether this title uh, was a shift, because the last thing I'll say about this is that uh, the comprehensive theology, doctrine of the new church— those were academic theologian-type titles. Yeah. And there were other works that had those names. But there were also works that were called True Christianity, but they were there was a work that was translated into Swedish called True Christianity, which was read at the dinner table. Hmm. That ev everybody, it was sort of how to be a decent Christian. It was practical. It's not about theology and how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. It's like how to live your life. It's very interesting to me that in this change from the projected work to the finished work, Swedenborg added a whole chapter on repentance. 
That was not originally part of the plan. Yeah. It's just really intriguing like this. And the chapter on goodwill or charity has stuff about paying your taxes and obligations to people. You know, it's like we're not up in the rarefied air of the ivory tower here. You know, this is down to earth. So wow. my conjecture is that he aimed the work uh, more toward, as he was redrafting it, more towards sort of the every man and woman kind of thing. The mystery deepens, yeah. Mm -hmm. at the last moment, I think he thinks, well, wait, my title's all wrong. You know, he's looking at it before it's going to be bound, and then it's like, ah, this is not the right title. I'm just making this up yes. at this point. But, you know, and decides at the last minute, hey, one more favor. <laughs> could we, could we I'll, I'll ditch the appendix if you'll do me a favor and reprint that first signature, that first arc, the first eight pages, so that I can change the title to something that's better suited to the audience that I now see the work is intended for. Oh, that's so fascinating. And that he would make those changes and accelerate the pace of his printing so that he he gets it done in the middle of June rather than the end of September. And it just so happens that we are going to that week in history, well, in September, of 1771, so we can pick up this mystery in our Where Was Swedenborg and What Was He Up To This Week in History. Yeah, and, and an important point that I left out is that the next meeting of the Swedish parliament was scheduled for and did happen on June 19th <laughs> of 1771. So he, he landed his book a day before the meetings began. Hey, Curtis and Jonathan. Hello. Hey there. All right. So we're going to pick right up again with true Christianity. So we were just talking about how he, Swedenborg, had this accelerated pace of publishing his work. He finished it amazingly on June 18th and so got it done the day before the diet began on the 19th. And we know from that letter that Jonathan mentioned to Bayer that um, he was intending to send a copy of True Christianity to each of the four estates of the Swedish diet. So really expanding the audience from just like the clergy to just, I want everybody to hear this. And That's so, right. And it's yeah. worth saying that those four parts of the government, you had the clergy, uh -huh. you had the nobility, but then you also had the merchants, sometimes called the oh. burghers, but not to be mistaken for food, and Sounds the delicious. peasants. It was very unusual wow. to have the peasants. I'm offended. I'm offended you mistook me for food. <laughs> in the government. And so yeah, I wonder whether... Yeah, merchants and peasants. That's amazing. You know, and so I think Swedenborg was sort of appealing to the business class and your, you know, working class or whatever you want to call them. Um, uh, when he was sending that out to these different... He sent two two copies to each of the four estates was his, was his oh, okay. plan. Okay. And so... This week in history, here we are in early September, we know from the record that Swedenborg is now leaving Amsterdam, and he's going to London. Dun, dun, dun. What? Not Stockholm, not Sweden, and not right after he finished, like if he was like in a rush to finish True Christianity, he doesn't just like hop on a ship and cross the channel and get to the diet on its opening day. He hangs out in Amsterdam for a couple of months and 
and then goes to London. And so it's remarkable because not only this whole mystery around why isn't he at the diet where he would normally go, you know, he often returns to Sweden for the diet. But, he was a member yeah. of the government, like he was expected, right? Right, was, right. A, he sort of had a duty to be there. Yeah. and But then not only that, this is the last trip he ever takes. He goes to London and ends up, he never returns to Sweden. He ends up dying in London the following March of 1772. Mm. Wow. So there's a lot of question marks on the table. And, uh, and so... It really is a mystery of why isn't he going back to the diet to present true Christianity? And if he is hanging out in Amsterdam, what is he spending his time there doing? And amazingly, we have a letter that he received or that he sent to none, none other than Ludwig the Ninth, the landgrave of Hesse Darmstadt, who made an appearance in our previous segment. One of my favorite landgraves ever. Yes, <laughs> mine too. He's such a good guy. <laughs> He's great. And so, and so August 24th, 1771, he sends this letter, again, sort of uh, giving us a window into what he was doing there. Because Swedenborg, we know, is like, like Jonathan was pointing out, he makes plans, and then the plans change. And something that Swedenborg is famous for, something that I love about that he writes very often in his works, is he'll ha- say this line of, Lord willing, I will go do this and that. So so we already know if, if his plans for true Christianity were sort of redirected one moment, maybe they got redirected again. You know, what? we don't know. And he publishes that all the time. He'll say, this will be discussed further at the mercy of the God, the Messiah, or however it's translated, that he's always right, saying, right. we'll see if this happens, which, by the way, it's a good take home for all of us because... As we strive to pour over these insights and try to package them in a way and understand them and live them in a way that'll be helpful to people, I often find myself asking, how would somebody who actually knew what they're talking about do this? And the fact that, right. that Swedenborg wouldn't just say, every day is a blank slate, God will do something for me today. He would set goals and try to do things, but he had this yes. simultaneous, okay, we'll see if God's the one that's going to give the okay or the or the no on this. It's an awesome point because... He had both of those things turned up to 10 as far as I'm concerned. In other words, he was more than most people I've ever met making plans, very passionate about we have to do this and this is how we could strategize that. And also leaving it up to Providence, but not letting his hands hang down as he talks about, you know, uh, uh, not being passive, being very active. That's a great point. Try really hard with all of your mind and all of your heart and don't be attached to the results. Exactly. I find that so empowering because it can feel sort of like, well, if I'm uncertain about how this is going to go, then should I really even, you know, like, should I only do things when I know they're going to work out a certain way? You know, like we can fall into that idea of like, oh, well, it's only worth it if I know it's going to work out, but guaranteed success. Yeah, but you just can't. And that, that, but that doesn't mean don't, really make plans and go for it, you know? And so it's it's very cool to see that happening for Swedenborg, not just once or twice, but like multiple times. And we've gotten a, a good sense of that in, our, in over the course of these, you know, these segments. Um, so what was he doing for, why didn't he leave Amsterdam? It's such a mystery to me. Uh, when, when he made huge changes to the design of true Christianity to land it in time, Yes. He landed the day before the parliament meetings began, the meetings of the Diet. Uh, 
and and doesn't show up and as, and we have no record of anything coming of it like were his works presented by somebody else uh we don't know mm. did anything happen you know we don't know it just sort of it's a question mark and there's there's just so many interesting things i mean i guess like one thing also that's remarkable to me about this is that uh yeah choosing london and in this letter to the landgrave we have some insight into this intended publishing that he has yet to do and he um and that uh it might even connect with the mystery of the missing appendix that you were <laughs> that you mentioned jonathan uh-huh. and so here here's what he wrote to ludwig he says i am now on the point of departing for england where <laughs> oh look at this the lord favoring i intend to give to the light <laughs> that is to publish four small works namely and here's his list he gives us a list which we know can change, um, and I'm sure it will. He says, one, concerning the consummation of the age and the abomination of desolation predicted by the Lord in Daniel and in Matthew. Number two, an invitation to the new church addressed to the whole Christian world and therein much concerning the Lord's advent and an exhortation that they receive him worthily. And number three, on the human mind. I think that's his favorite topic. And then lastly, number four, of all things, Egyptian hieroglyphics laid bare by correspondences. Cool. How much of that stuff did they publish posthumously? Uh, Not the last two. We, yeah. we have sort of manuscripts for the first two. But the last two are so cool. Exactly. But some of them are partial, and the really cool ones we don't have at so, all. So it doesn't seem like uh, he knew, because at some point he knew when he was going to die. I mean, isn't there that anecdote that he was able to give the correct that's right i think it was some three or four months ahead of that march 29th okay. death date so once he was already in england but then so he yeah he ends this letter by saying when these works are printed i will forward copies from england to this to the to the landgrave and so he's going to go print them in england which is amazing because he gave up printing in England back in 1758 or 59. Yeah, other than soul-body interaction, he hadn't done anything there since 1758. And um, it's also interesting from the standpoint that um, he says in Invitation to the New Church, first of all, I'm fascinated because some people really come away from Swedenborg's works thinking that his expectation is that the New Church will really only grow in Africa, in parts of the world that at that time were non-Christian, like never heard of it, mm -hmm. you know, that's where it would grow. And yet here you have a clear indication that at the end of his life, it's an invitation to already existing Christian nations and people yeah. to become part of this new thing. And in section 25 of Memory Serves of that work, he says, unless this is added, Everything else I've written on the subject is just like a palliative cure. It's just sort of superficial. You really need this to get the job done. I'm paraphrasing wildly, but well, we'll let's not paraphrase, okay? Because I, it's a remarkable number. And here's what he says: In you happen to have it with you? I happen to have it with me, and this really wasn't planned ahead of time, but I do. That is astonishing. Lord willing, okay. He says, if this little work not be added to the preceding one, which might be referencing true Christianity. Maybe it's referencing all of his work. I don't Everything, know. Everything, who knows, yeah. Yeah, he says, the church cannot be healed. 
there would be only a palliative cure, a wound in which the corrupt matter remains and eats away the neighboring parts. Orthodoxy is itself this corrupt matter, and the doctrine of the new church indeed furnishes a remedy, but only outwardly. Whoa. Wow. Mic drop, right? That's right. And there's that phrase, the doctrine of the new church. Isn't that like that was yes. going to be the title of true Christianity? That is, that's amazing. And so... And yet he didn't get to publish it. And some of it exactly. has been published after his death and translated and so on. And it's all about miracles. Yeah. There's like, what is it? Maybe, there is, maybe there's like 53 numbers of invitation to the new church that was able to be published posthumously. Oh, like he'd only written part of it. Yeah. A, a, a number of those manuscripts that were left on his desk... Well, some of it sort of walked away and didn't come back and so on. It just Exactly. Oh. Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't know. We don't know what he wrote and we lost or what he just didn't ever get to writing. <laughs> if you're out there, please return the manuscript. Have you seen this? Uh, listen, you're not in trouble. Just return it. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, those first two do seem to be that the missing appendix or, or something that was maybe going to become part like the appendix he was wanting to write for true Christianity. Yeah, they seem thematically related very much to the things that he promises yeah. in true Christianity. And so so he goes to London. He's intending to publish these works. And that, that's and that's happening in early September. And so we assume he the thing is, is none of them get published before he dies in March. That's right. And he has a stroke sometime around Christmas, I think, and is incapacitated for, for a while and and then doesn't write anymore after that. And uh, so, yeah, plan B was definitely <laughs> happening. Uh, uh, but it does serve to it helps me understand what he was doing that summer because right. he was he had been focused on the Swedish government and getting this uh, the work to be discussed by them. And then it seems like his change of plan, my conjecture, is that uh, he needed to write something else. There was something, hey, wait, wait, that's not enough. Yes. I've got to say this. Wait, 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 I'm not done. Right. If I don't add this, things might get taken the wrong way, especially re- calling out orthodoxy, you know. <laughs> it won't really deal with the orthodoxy. You'll still end up in kind of a faith alone or kind of a who knows what. But just judging by his critique of existing Protestant Christianity, he, he may have thought it'll still be too close. It needs to be more different than that. Yeah. And so he does send the, I mean, he, I guess, do we know whether he sends true Christianity to those estates like he had intended, even if he doesn't uh, go there himself? I guess we just don't know, do we? We don't know. It, it should be possible to find out because all those minutes from those meetings have been very well preserved. Right. I had some somebody in Sweden, in Sweden help us kindly, out here. <laughs> yeah, do some research uh, for me for my introduction on the 1760 to 62 uh, meeting of the Riksdag, the Diet, the Swedish Parliament. Yeah. Uh, so it should be possible to find out, but none of the scholars of the past found any indication that this happened. Yeah. It just seems to have not happened. Interesting. He had also had this beautiful invitation from Reverend Thomas Hartley in England and Dr. Husband Messeter, who was a physician. Mm. And so I don't know if Swedenborg was starting to have some physical symptoms and not feeling so good. He was 83 years old. And and yeah. so um, it was a beautiful, warm invitation. And I think he just felt like maybe that's my home, mm-hmm. you know, that that love and support. That's what I need. 
he he didn't have a, a spouse or children or, or whatever, so uh, maybe these people will take care of me. Well, that is so sweet to hear that and to also think about it being that uh, if he had any kind of sense of maybe my health is changing, he also wants to get himself set up in a good, you know, solid situation before the winter comes, you know, so he's... That's right. So maybe, you know, that just might be Always a, a piece of the puzzle. Sure was. Really, really fascinating. Well, so this was fabulous to explore with you both, Curtis and Jonathan. And I hope everyone listening has enjoyed our exploration this week. And we'll be here with you next time inside Off the Left Eye. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Inside Off the Left Eye. You can subscribe to Inside Off the Left Eye wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can explore all our content and resources at our website, offthelefteye.com. To become part of the core group of people who sustain what we do here at Off the Left Eye, go to otle.cosvox.com to support our work with a donation. Now's a great time to give, because from now until the end of September, all donations will go twice as far thanks to a generous $10,000 matching gift we've received. And there are other ways to give, too. By rating us on Apple Podcasts and leaving a review, you're helping others find our podcast and all our offerings at Off the Left Eye. But having you there listening is a real form of support in and of itself, so I mean it when I say thank you for listening. <laughs>